Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 230. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And Baseball Month continues with a review and discussion of The Rookie. Had you ever seen this movie prior to sitting to discuss it for Monorail Radio? I had not. I actually kept conflating it with Rookie of the Year until I realized that that was a Fox distribution and we weren't going to be reviewing it. Yeah, I did not see this in movie theaters. I actually did not see this until maybe three or four years ago. And obviously, I'm a big baseball fan, but this was just one that, for, for some reason or the next, it, it kept eluding me. It's not that I had no interest in it, but it was always one of those movies that I swore I would get to, and I just never got to it. Because I don't think it was a major box office success. I feel like it kind of got buried quickly. So until such time that Disney Plus was a thing, I I wasn't really like on the hunt for it. Like I probably could have gotten it at the library or something, but it was just never one of those movies that was at like front and center when I thought about what movie am I going to get on a Friday night. No, nor do I remember ever really seeing it around either. No, you're right. I don't remember going to Blockbuster or Target or Best Buy and like seeing it on display. Right. But was this film worth the wait? How close is it to the actual events of what happened with Jim Morris? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code Monoreal at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections. Jim Morris is a baseball-loving child in a nomadic military family. His father does not support Jim's love for baseball, and while Jimmy is thriving as a pitcher in Florida, they move to Texas where baseball plays second fiddle to football. In Big Lake, Texas, Jimmy grows up, gets married, and starts a family and becomes a science teacher and baseball coach at the local high school. We also learn that he was drafted into Major League Baseball, but never made the big leagues due to a shoulder injury, though he continues to throw. His team, the Owls, struggle to survive as the school is looking to end their program. His players see how hard Jimmy can throw and make a deal that if they win their district and go to states, that he will go on a professional tryout, though his wife Lori doesn't support his pitching due to his previous injuries. Meanwhile, Jim continues to have a rocky relationship with his father, who is now separated from his mother. The Owls go on a winning streak, win their division, and go to states, so Jim attends a tryout with the expansion Tampa Bay Devil Rays and shocks the scouts that despite his age and his injury history, that he has thrown 12 straight pitches at 98 miles an hour. They offer him a spot, but he also has an offer to teach and coach in Fort Worth, which is a far steadier job. Jim decides to go for his dream, despite lukewarm support from Lori and none from his father. Despite being successful and moving quickly to AAA, Jim struggles to find support from his teammates, and the financial struggles at home lead to him 
deciding to leave the team and come home. But after some soul-searching and some more support from Lori, his wife, he decides to stick it out and eventually gets called up to the majors. The people of Big Lake celebrate the news by traveling to Arlington to see Jim play his first game for the Devil Rays and strike out Royce Clayton. Jim is surprised to see how many showed up, but no one surprises him as much as his father, who refused to miss this game after missing so many others. All right. Um, let's get right into it. The, um, the whole Texas story that they open the film with. The nuns, they bless the fields, oil rigs, oil workers. We play baseball on this dusty sandlot. Like, it's a nice story and all, but it doesn't really do anything for the movie. No, I just kind of took a beat when we were watching it and I was like, huh, that's kind of ironic that we did this back-to-back with Angels in the Outfield and there's more... uh, well, when we first sat down to watch it, I thought there was going to be more religious theming, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the character or with the plots. It's not like Jim was a super religious man. I mean, like you see him pray with the owls before their game and you right. see him in prayer and he has that um, the necklace. It's not a rosary. It's um, Saint is uh St. Mary, I think. I think so, yeah. Or St. Rosa Mary, I want to say. it. Whoever whoever the nuns were praying to in the beginning, that carried through the rest of the film, but it wasn't like an overall theme. Yeah, it just seemed like they were telling us the story of like early baseball in Texas, but that's not even what the movie's about. Right. It, it's, it's really about Jim, and it also kind of made like an interesting contrast because... You're telling us this story of, like, the origin of baseball in Texas, how these oil workers would play baseball in their spare time, like, when they were on break just to, like, stay active, and then nobody cares about baseball in Texas at the same time. So you have this origin story that means nothing because no one cares about it. Right, because the only other time that it comes up, aside from seeing a few prayers, um, is when... Jim first moves to town and he's looking for the baseball glove and then um, the owner of the store tells him the lore of baseball. But I wish they had tied that to the owls a little bit more and why these kids on the on the team cared so much about it. I want to put a pin in that for right now because there was a point that I was going to make later where it feels like a scene may have been cut and I think that this might play into that. Um, so I'll I'll hit that again when it comes up later on. All right. What they do very well from the jump, though, is a great job setting up the tension with his father. It, it's a little tropey, the military dad, that, you know, life's not always a game, son. But, like, if this was how it really was, then I'm not going to sit there and say, well, it's, it's you know, it's I'm not going to say it's a trope. Because if this is how it really was, then this is how it really was. I'm not going to tell you your real father was a trope. And obviously they're going to dramatize it for film. But the one thing that stood out to me was when they move from Florida to Texas, when when Jimmy asks his father how much baseball's in Texas and his father says none, he's almost happy about it. 
Like, he almost says it with, like, a half grin on his face. Like, he's like he's glad that the one thing that his son loves the most is the thing that's going to get taken away in this transfer. Oh, see, and I didn't read that at all. I mean, here's the, the odd thing, is that this is, for all intents and purposes, a biopic. So if this is how it happened, it's how it happened, and I'm not going to question it. But here is where... I wish they had taken a little bit more liberty as filmmakers because I feel like it didn't flow. I feel like the relationship with the dad moves too quickly at first because with the first two moves, we see Jim playing in the snow with his friend, just having a catch, um, and he's practicing his pitching. Then he's practicing in the rain so it's not even like he's part of a team yet where, you know, this kid who moves around a lot has started to find friends and find, um, you know, something that brings him a sense of community in baseball. He's completely on his own and the weather's not in his favor. So if you love baseball that much, wouldn't you be stoked at the chance to go to Florida where you can play all year round and the weather's not going to be in your way? And then when the dad tells them that they're moving to Florida... I feel like his stance softened a little bit because he does tell Jimmy, I don't really have a choice in this. Um, But then by Texas, you were right. He's really rough about it. And he's like, nope, no baseball, too bad. And by this point, Jimmy is already on a team in Florida. So now he has found a sense of community. He has a team, he has friends, and he's doing well. So there's a lot more for him to lose. And this is where his dad really brushes him off. So I feel like... Florida would have just been a better starting point. And then if they had focused on the move to Texas after that, after he's truly fallen in love with baseball, it would have flowed a little better. And you're still setting up that relationship that even though it's based in life, it's going to feel like a trope no matter what. This is the one thing with this film that has sort of stuck with me every time I've watched it, with all, which albeit has not been a ton, but... I do get the feeling that this story could have been told in full and the movie probably could have run about a half an hour shorter. There are just moments, and look, it's it's Jim's life story, so far be it for me to sit there and say your life is dull. It, it's not. It's an amazing story. But they seem to drag out scenes and focus on things that, to your point, you could have tightened a little bit of it up, kept the pacing up a little bit, told the full story, and I don't think you would have sacrificed any of the story or any of the drama to accomplish what you were doing. Right, because it is also very clear that they are a military family. He calls his dad sir for most of his life. So we're going to take away that they moved around a lot. We didn't necessarily need to see it the first couple of times. What I love about getting to Texas, though, and... It's something that sticks with the aesthetic of the film until such time that the owls start to win and Jim goes on to his tryout. Everything is dry. Everything is dead. It's not just the landscape. It's also the colors. It's the clothes that they wear. It's the jerseys. It Everything has just that layer of dust on it, that just desert-looking dust that I think was absolutely spectacular. I love the look of this film. I do too, especially that Main Street 
just very muted tones. Uh, but I love that general store scene when he goes looking for the the glove and uh, he meets the owner of the store. And then, as we were talking about earlier, he does tell him the, the history of baseball in this town. Um, but I like the welcome that Jimmy gets. You know, obviously it's a small town and he's asked if he's just passing through. And he's like, no, we just moved here. So, uh, you know, he's embraced right away. Um and that relationship is going to become obviously very important throughout the rest of this film. Yeah, because now we jump forward to Jim as an adult, right? We don't really see him much as an adolescent living in Big Lake because, as it turns out, there was no high school team for him to play on. He went and played at junior college. So they're not really going to focus on him playing ball because there wasn't any ball to be played. But I wish that instead of dragging out some of these other scenes, I wish they would have focused on that a little bit because it's almost hard to believe that without organized baseball in that town that he would have gone on to junior college and got drafted in the first round of the MLB draft. Like somewhere in there, he needs to keep up with this. I wish we would have seen a little bit more of that because I think that it would have stacked the odds against him even more. Yes, pulling my pin out. Because for as much as we've been saying they could have cut, they could have tightened, here is where I felt like we were missing a scene because we know nothing about him getting injured. We don't see it. And maybe we don't need to because, again, based on real life, so if you know his history, you know that he's been injured. But I just wish they would have connected that to now he has this team at the high school because when you first see him coaching the Owls, you don't really know. It's not clearly established if it's the high school team or if it's a youth organization. So it just would have been nice to see that because he didn't have his major league career, he still wanted to be connected to baseball in his life and he wanted to bring it to the kids of this town. And that's how he ended up being the coach. You don't get any of that until later on in the movie. So it's sort of confusing to just see him coaching this team. However, I do like that they pose Jimmy as a very likable teacher because he's a science teacher. So you normally get that trope of like the kids aren't paying attention. They don't like their science class or whatever. Um, But he's so engaging and he's making the class as enjoyable as it possibly can be for these kids. Um, I like that they're setting that up, that he is respected so that he's not bitter that his career didn't work out. He's not stuck in a job that he hates and baseball is not an escape for him. It's just something that he loves and he still loves his life, even though it didn't work out exactly as he had dreamed. Yeah. And the other thing that they do here that, again, if this is how it really was, I'm not going to sit there and say that someone's life is a trope, but the sort of antagonist wife. We we saw it in Miracle, but we know that in Miracle, her Brooks's wife, she was kind of fed up with the whole thing, and she was trying to keep everything separate. And she supported him being the coach of Team USA, but she was over it by the time the Olympics came. I mean, they said that that was pretty much a true representation 
Um, I, I don't know how true this representation was. I couldn't really find a lot on that. I, I do know that the same year that this film came out, that their marriage did end. Jim eventually did remarry. So I'm, I'm not sure how rocky the relationship actually was. But seeing as two years later you're going to do the same thing in Miracle, which is very much rooted in a true story, which was already in production when you did this, it sort of felt like lather, rinse, repeat. I kind of feel like the writers were using his wife as a plot device, and that was less based in reality. Because where it doesn't track for me is that I love the relationship that he has with his son and with his team, but the son is at all these games and he's so supportive. So I feel like if his wife wasn't truly supportive, she's not going to be letting the kid hang around while he's coaching the team. Doesn't it remind you of of Hayden Penetier in Remember the Titans? Yes. So now here we go. Three movies. And I think these, I think those movies, Miracle, The Rookie and Remember the Titans, I think they all came out like in sequence, like one year and then the next year and then the next year. I think they all came out back to back to back. But to me, this was my favorite instance of a kid being around a more adult team. I just thought it was super cute. And I love how the team embraced Jim's son. Yeah. Um, I love the scene with the barber shop where they can't get the seed to grow on the baseball field. But of course, the football field's immaculate, and it turns out that the deer are eating the seed. So behind closed doors, his buddies in town are taking all of the hair clippings from the barber shop and spreading them on the field. And three weeks later, we've got grass because now the deer are not eating the seed. I love the whole thing. I love how invested everyone is in this grass. And that's where, you know, they really play into the small town charm where Jim just kind of said it offhand to his buddies and they ended up helping. But then the kids are you know, they can't practice on this field while it's growing. So the team is looking and seeing if it's growing. So they pulled Jim out of class and they're like, look what we got, look what we got. Yeah, I just love the investment in it. While all of this is going on, this is where um, they strike the deal um, because the Owls suffered a loss, but they got blown out of the water. And Jim delivers one of my favorite lines in this movie. And he says, you quit on me and worse you quit on yourselves um so this is where like i mentioned before it's very important that he's likable because he didn't have that uh that knocks moment where he's losing his mind in the locker room and uh trying to get them to win by by creating fear that's not how you do this jim is just a great leader and he's trying to lead by example so this is where uh, you know, he says most of you are going to um, graduate from high school. You're going to get a job in this town. You're going to get married in this town. You're going to retire in this town. And that's great. I'm doing it. But he tries to plant that seed of it is okay to dream big and it is okay to want more for yourselves. And this is where they said, okay, if we start winning, you you got to put your money where your mouth is. And now you have to go and... Uh, take another shot at at having a professional baseball career because they've all seen him pitch at this point too. Yeah. 
I love that the team rallies around him like this. I love that the team really turns it all around because it's it's not only what he said to them, but they're doing it because they're going to push him. Yes. So, you know, you push us, we push you. I love the entire thing, like you said, kind of the whole small town rallying around, especially because baseball is such a niche. It totally works. You know what? Uh, tonally this reminds me of, and this is where I really started to fall in love with this movie. Uh, to me, it, it has October sky vibes mm-hmm. where everybody's so invested. Um, and that, that's kind of a nice thing that they carried through the rest of this film. I also like the scene that we get after this with his father and his son, where granddad is trying to do the right thing. He's trying to be present now because he wasn't present for Jim and their relationship is still on the rocks. And this works so well because you have his dad, his dad is trying to do the right thing, buys his grandson a baseball mitt, which we know is not characteristic of him because he hasn't been supportive of baseball in Jim's life. And then on the other side, and later his mother even calls him out for his stubbornness, how when his son says, oh, this glove has no fingers, Jim immediately goes, yeah, well, it's because it's the first baseman's glove. His father bought the wrong thing. And, like, Jim's going to let him know, like, well, you bought it, but that's not that's not what you should have bought. And then Angus Young is there going, well, I like first base. This is just as good. You know, like, yeah. it, it does a lot to serve the story. It does a lot to serve his son, but it also does a lot in service of showing that in spite of the fact that his father's trying to do the right thing, there does seem to be a bit of a resentment that Jim is not willing to let go of just yet. Right. But this is another instance where I feel like we're missing something because to me, you know, Jim did have his shot at a professional baseball career. Obviously, it didn't work out. So it's kind of like, why are you still mad at your dad? Because in the end... Moving around for the military didn't stop you from pursuing what you were trying to do. You got injured, so you're not doing what you wanted to do anyway. So it's like, why wouldn't you bury the hatchet at this point? Um, so I don't know. That that doesn't really make sense. But again, if that's how it happened, you know, who are we to argue? To me, um, what feels a little clunky is that you could make the argument that the divorce obviously changed Jim's father. And he has a whole new outlook on family values. And that's why he is trying to repair this damage through Jim's son now. And he really is extending the olive branch. So that is where the baseball glove makes sense. It's like, you know, he's really trying. But at the same time, I do feel like it is very much on the nose. And it's overly harsh to Jim because you wouldn't support Jim's career. But now you'll buy his son a baseball glove in a town where baseball is not a big thing. Yeah, because they're getting ready to shut the program down anyway to put more money and focus into the football program. Right. And this is where we find out that it is, in fact, the high school team, which I feel like they should have established earlier on. uh, And it's not just some passion project of Jim's. And when it does come up a little bit later, um, when he gets offered the Fort Worth job, um, he questions you know, I want to stick around for my team. And his wife points out, there's always going to be new kids. They're always going to graduate. It's always going to cycle through. But 
he's like not these kids and then you find out that this is like the third or fourth year of the program so most of them started his first year when they were freshmen and they've all grown together and that's why this is such a special group the fort worth drama is peppered in very well because it not only shows that jim is still continuing to dream and he's still trying to reach for that brass ring but it also adds that added layer of do I take this $600 a month opportunity to pitch in the minors or do I take the steady job to help pay for food for my kids and pay the mortgage on this house and this, that, and the other. It It's all very well done. And then it does add a, a layer of drama with the players because, you know, they've they ask him straight out, like, are you going to be back next year? And he's like, well, we're not going to talk about that right now. So Because they have one game left. Yeah, so you have all of this loyalty towards him, but he doesn't necessarily have, not to 100%, he doesn't necessarily have the same loyalty towards them. I also really like what it's doing for some of the characters on this team because they have turned it around. They've gone on a winning streak. They have one more game left, um, and they are fully ready to be like, all right, we did it. We turned it around. We won. Now you need to uphold your end of the bargain and go do a tryout. Um, So if they want so much more for Jimmy, they shouldn't really be sweating out this Fort Worth offer because there was the potential to lose him anyway if these tryouts work. Um, but what I really like what it's doing here is that these kids have shown a maturity and that they're wise beyond their years being so supportive of their coach. But at the same time, when it comes down to the Fort Worth offer, they're still just high school kids and they're willing to let him go for the big time, but they don't want to lose him for any other reason. Yeah, the team victory is fun as hell when they're partying in the locker room and they're having a great time and they win the game. But this is this the lead up up to this is where I think they could have just sped up the pacing a little bit because you want to tell the full story. You have to see them win. You have to see that they're on a winning streak. You need to see him face the reality of I need to now go on this tryout. They're going to push me to do it to tell the full story. You need that. But they they do things well here. Like, you get a montage of them playing, and you see that time is passing because it's the bulletin board fodder with, they've won six in a row, they've won ten in a row, they've done this, they've done this. But then you get these longer, drawn-out scenes of him pitching behind Lori's back, because she doesn't know that he's doing it. Right. Where I think that you could have just shown a flash of, like, him throwing a pitch to the catcher, and then it flat. You don't need to see him throw over and over and over again. And even the speedometer thing, like, it was cool, but we didn't need to see it. Yeah. I mean, you you already knew that he didn't have a means of clocking how fast he was pitching because we don't see that until the tryouts right. when they have the professional equipment doing it. So, I mean, I, I kind of like that they did that just because he used what he had to see. But I feel like that was almost a little bit too coincidental where the, half the lights are out and it says 76 miles an hour and not 96. Um, but I, I agree with your point about uh, this last game dragging a little bit because they also really invest us in Rudy's pitching and closing out this game. Yeah. 
I like again, I like what it does for the team because his boys are all backing him and they're being very supportive and cheering him on. But I think that you could have done that a lot more quickly. But I agree. I like the the celebration at the end. I love the locker room scene, especially because Jimmy's kid is celebrating with the team again. Um, you know, and for a bunch of high school guys, again, they're really not going to want a little, a little kid around, but they've got him up on their shoulders and they're patting him on the head and, you know, they just really embrace him and it's super cute. Um, but then you get another long sequence because like I said, they're immediately ready to hold Jimmy accountable for his end of the bargain. And they say, now it's your turn coach, but the entire team does it. And I feel like they're trying to create this moment of, Ducks fly together in the yeah. locker room, but it definitely drags one or two of the main characters saying it would have sufficed. Or um, you mentioned the bulletin before board before with all of the articles on it. They wrote, it's your turn, coach, on the article. That would have been cute and, and just enough where he's like, all right, well, I can't be a liar to these kids. I got to go do something about it now. Yeah, we get the tryout scene. And Dennis Quaid, I have said in like a lot of sports films where you can tell that an actor has never actually played the sport because they don't look convincing at all. Not the case here for Dennis Quaid. He looks so convincing. Obviously, there's a lot of it is a stunt double that's throwing these pitches. But in the close-up shots where he's at least in the wind-up, he looks obviously you know that Dennis Quaid can play baseball. Like he looks the part. He do, he looks very comfortable just the way that he'll like kick at the mound, the way that he sets up the pitch. I mean, is he accurate? Is he fast? I don't know, but he's actually throwing. Yeah. Um it it looks totally convincing, completely believable. I do go back and forth with this scene at the tryouts though because Jim has the kids for the day and I was sort of led to believe that it was a weekend day. So I'm not sure what his wife is doing because she works in the school with him. She's admin- she's a counselor, I believe. They say it in the beginning because she walks by him in the office and she smacks his butt. Um, so I would buy that administration is working over the summer. So maybe he's just off. But well, no, that wouldn't make sense because he'd be coaching the baseball team too over the summer. So we really have no idea what time of year this is. He wouldn't be coaching over the summer. There's no league over the summer. Those kids go on break. He wouldn't be coaching. Right. I'm thinking of like a youth organization. Right. All right. So timeline wise, then this is probably after the school year. So maybe it's not a weekend. It is a weekday. He's home with the kids, and that's why she's going off to work. But my point is, the kids really serve no purpose in this scene other than to show us that, you know, because he's older and he has a life established, and it's not like he's being plucked out of high school or college to go to the major league. Um, you know, it's just supposed to create that idea of what he's leaving behind because I'm thinking the whole time the kids are going to be disruptive at practice or, or interfere with his tryout in some way. And that never really happens. We know that his son is going to be well-behaved because he's constantly around him during games and practice and all of that. But he's got the two daughters with him too now. Um, and other than than him being in the middle of changing a diaper when he's called up, it doesn't really serve 
any kind of purpose. And I'm thinking this is another instance of them writing this in and it may not be how it really happened because I don't really buy that he would have actually had the kids with him that day. Right. Because if his wife is a counselor and she's not administrative, <clears throat> there's no kids in school. She's not going to be there either. If if the teacher is not there, a counselor's a counselor is not going to be there over the summer if there's no children to counsel. So, yeah, you it's like we almost forget for a moment that she works in the school because she, she you know she comes in she's got her work clothes on she kicks off her dress shoes she's got the bag of groceries yeah it's almost like oh yeah she works in an office like nondescript office employee. Or, or even like a realtor where she's out. That's why I don't know why I got in my head about thinking it was the weekend. Anyway, I don't know. I, I think we're reaching and overanalyzing this a little bit. But the point is, the scene, it didn't really matter whether you had the kids there or not. But I like how they end it where the scout says, you know, your age is going to get me laughed at. But if I don't report a 98 mile an hour pitch, that's going to get me fired. Uh, so you kind of know he's definitely in on some level at this point. And when his wife gets home from work and she's listening to the answering machine and he says, we're picking up pizza, don't fix dinner. And then there's multiple messages from the devil rays reaching out to him. So now she knows something's up. And then the daughter comes home and says, daddy said, I had to give you this and not say anything. And she's like, I'm sure that's the exact thing that he told you to do. Um, it, it's a very funny scene. It's a very funny moment that's then followed by what I think is a very good scene between Jim and Lori. But it's a very good scene because the the actors on screen sell the tension very well. Yes. Because he's sitting here saying, do you know how many people on earth can throw this kind of fastball consistently? And she's like, not many. And he's like, right. And she is... Not at all. She's like, yeah, I support it. But he calls her out on not really being supportive. And then she delivers the line that she was happy when he quit because she got sick and tired. And they tried to hide it behind this. Well, I got tired of like watching you get hurt and then I have to come home and watch you tear yourself down. She said it with almost an animosity that she was happy that he quit. And it was just one of those gut punch ouch moments that... I like I understand you're trying to sell her as being concerned that he's going to hurt himself again. But instead of coming at him in a way that's showing concern and sympathy, they do it with a nastiness that I don't think really serves the character well. Right, because now they've sort of turned her into that bitter wife trope. And up until this point, I really liked their relationship. I thought it was really believable. You know, especially what they've channeled through the kids of like, don't tell your mom about this. Don't tell your mom about this. You know, it just seems like a very playful, fun family. Yeah. But I think this is where the writers again started using her as a plot device because we also get a scene where... Jimmy goes after the tryouts to see his dad and his dad delivers a really poignant line. And you had mentioned this in the plot, but I'm interpreting it as a totally different uh, moment for this character where he tells Jimmy something to the effect of there comes a point in your life where you have to figure out what you were meant to do versus what you have to do. 
um, I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly how the line is delivered, but that is the sentiment. Um, and to me, I think this is where his dad is finally coming around because baseball is not just a pipe dream at this point. Jimmy has established himself. He's got a steady job. He has, he has his baseball team. They turned it around. I think this is actually his dad letting him know that he does respect baseball. And because he has a whole life established, he did what he was supposed to do. Now it's time to pursue what he's meant to do. And I actually think that his dad is recognizing that he was meant to play baseball. And he is actually telling him to go pursue this. And he's being supportive now. So now that you do have dad on his side you do need another antagonist and that's what they chose to write the wife towards and then when she does throw her support behind him after this scene is concluded it sort of just seems like it's half-baked support it it seems like she just had the moment because she's watching her son sleep and he's got like his baseball sheets and she's like He stood in the rain to watch you pitch. So go pitch. It's like, where was this realization earlier? Because, like, she knows how much time... I mean, the kid has an owl's uniform. They made a uniform for him, for the high school team. And he's, you know, five, six years old. Like, when was the realization that this means something to your son to watch your husband succeed? Like, it, it just seems like... They were going to build up to something, and they kind of just didn't because they relied on this, I'm watching my son sleep in his baseball sheets, as enough of a reason for me to come around. Yeah, I mean, here's where, and again, we're talking about cut this, cut that, a little bit more of a passage of time would have helped her come to this decision. Um I do like, though, what she says about setting an example because the kid worships his father, clearly. So her realization comes from, you know, what are we teaching this kid if if we're telling you not to go pursue your dream and do the sensible thing? Like we have to, you know, we have to practice what we preach. Um, So I'll totally buy that as her reasoning, but you're right. I think it just turns over too quickly after they've had this argument and after she cuts them really deep with the, I was happy when you quit. I think they just knocked, knocked Jim down too far and she threw too many punches to just turn it around just like that. But what I will say I do appreciate is that they didn't all of a sudden make her supportive once the money started rolling in either. Because then yeah. we're, we're not going to like her anymore at that point. Right. So Jim goes off, and now he's playing minor league ball, and he's seeing a lot of success. He moves very quickly from AA to AAA. And what's sad about this is that despite his success, he's not seeing a ton of support from the fans, and he's getting almost no support from his teammates who are not looking at him as somebody with a second chance, much like a lot of them are. They look at him as good media, good press, good news to give the team attention. I mean, I appreciate that they're not looking at him 
as a hindrance on their performance and they do recognize that, you know, he's a good relief pitcher. But to me, I can't stand this sports movie cliche of hazing the new guy because you're all still on the same team together. You need to gel together if you want to win. You need to have some sort of camaraderie. And, you know, they're kicking him out of the phone booth and, you know, they're telling him this is how it is. And they're not really it takes a while for him to make friends on his team. And I actually really do like the relationship that he develops with Brooks. Um, But other than that, this is where I feel like his whole uh, or, or this whole section of him and the minors starts to drag because they're also cutting back and forth with him. Uh, you know, struggling as far as his performance in front of the fans and getting along with the team. Um, they're showing him struggle being away from his family and long phone calls home every night and trying to help the kids with homework while he's on the road. Um, I feel like that could have been tightened a little bit more because you know, you do need to see the struggle of him being away from his family. And that's the difference between someone his age um, versus someone who's, you know, fresh out of high school, fresh out of college, having to travel and be away from family. And then once you get to his age, if you've been doing that your whole life, you're accustomed to being away. So we needed to see a little bit of that push and pull of, oh, I should be home, especially because then when he says, he is coming home, it would have made that seem like a knee-jerk reaction. The other thing here is that it drags on a little bit, but at the same time, you needed to see more here because we're seeing him struggle with fans, we're seeing him struggle with teammates, we're seeing him struggle with being away from the family, you are seeing him struggle on the field where they're not showing you much is where he's having success that he would have moved up to AAA so quickly. We only know that he's successful because you told us he was, but all we've seen him do is struggle. Yes, you needed to build, and and also you needed to give us the reason why he decides to stay. Right. Like because he need- tells Lori I'm coming home. Yeah, and she talks him out of it, but like he, you need the push and pull of, I'm doing so well, I'm living my dream, but my family is struggling financially. My kids are struggling with daddy's not home. I'm struggling with my teammates don't respect me enough because they just see me as like a good story in a newspaper. You needed to see struggle versus success and how with with more success came more struggle. None of that kind of happens here. Yeah, I mean... Now that we're talking through it, though, I sort of get why they left that out. I mean, it would have been nice to see some of the success, but what they did do a good job of was stripping it down and establishing that no matter what, he's going to love baseball because Lori does pose that question to him of if you do come home, she's like, I can stretch the bills. We can make this work. But if you come home after everything that you just had, are you going to be okay? Are you going to be okay to, to come back to real life again? Or, you know, do you still just for the love of the game want to do this? And then this is kind of cliche. He sees a peewee game and, you know, you hear the crack of the bat and it's, you see the wheels turning of, no, I, I truly love this. So, I mean, I can appreciate that, 
for him as a character and as a person, they didn't want to make it seem like he was selling out and just chasing the success and that they did strip everything away just to make it about he loves baseball and that's fine. But because this is real life, we do need to see that that jump from the minors to the majors a little bit more because this seemed truly unbelievable when he gets called into the office and um, they tell him Brooks got called up and he's like, oh yeah, you're going with him. But it's I, a nice moment. I love the call-up scene yeah. though because the manager calls him in to tell him Brooks is going up, which they had alluded to earlier was Brooks is going to get the call-up. Jim is basically living with the fact that in his mind he's never going to get the call-up and they drag it out and they wait and they ask him, they ask Jim to tell Brooks about the call-up. And oh, by the way, that's because you're going to. The whole scene is really good. I love the call back home to Lori yeah. with, the, with the, the blue jacket that he never wears and he needs her to bring it to Arlington for him. And he gets to talk to his son on the phone and his son is asking what a devil ray is. Like, Can you eat it? Yeah, the, the whole, the whole call-up scene is great, as is what happens next with the buses leaving from the baseball field at 2 p.m. We're all going to go to Arlington together and how the whole town rallies around. We're going to go to Arlington to see Jim play. The, the whole thing is just really well done. It really is. I mean, the fact that he's playing his first major league game in Texas, does that feel produced? Yes, a little bit. But if that's how it happened, how incredible that your first game is a hometown game, that everybody in Texas or, or your family and your friends are coming to root for you against the home team just because they want to support you. Um, but this is where, and they did such a good job of planting the seeds no pun intended, with the grass, how the town rallied around that little thing for the sake of baseball. So it is absolutely believable that once they found out he got called up, you know, the entire town is coming out to support him. It's wonderful. And I love that most of that is uh, the owls leading the charge. Yeah, the only thing that stood out to me is completely unrealistic here is how horrific the seats that his wife and kids have. Like, as a player, especially in your first game, the team's going to get you better seats than what they had. Yes, but what I really did like, too, is that everyone is spread out. They didn't seat the owls behind... Um, Jim's buddy like you know they weren't cutting to shots of them all together through the entire game I feel like that would have been a little bit of a stretch because you know you get certain a certain amount of comp tickets but everybody had to buy their own so I like that his boys are you know down in the lower level and the owls are in the nosebleeds but they're just so happy to be there and everybody has a pair of binoculars to see him yeah the the strikeout of Royce Clayton great four pitches strikeout awesome the scene with his dad, where his dad says, I wasn't going to miss this one, and Jim gives him the game ball, that's a really great scene. It really is, yeah. No, because he, I think everyone was expecting him to give that ball to his son, but this was so meaningful, and it, it's such a nice response to, dad bought his son the glove, so now you get the ball. Yeah. We ready to talk about the cast here? Absolutely. Dennis Quaid plays Jim Morris, and Dennis Quaid is a great actor. He's got so much talent. Um, I love the weight that he carried in this film. I love the representation of Jim Morris. I love the aw shucks 
small town quality that he gives him. I love that he carries the weight that he had as a child and the feelings towards his death. Everything about the way Dennis Quaid did this was spectacular. I couldn't agree more. And I really like the balance that they struck with him having to be the mature adult and be the patriarch of his family. But that childlike quality that took over anytime he was on the field. Rachel Griffiths plays Laurie Morris, his wife. And I I think that Rachel Griffiths did what she was asked to do. My issue is not with her as an actress. There's just something about this character, which it seems weird to say because it's this is a real person, but there's something about this character that just seems off. I also feel like this poor woman gets typecast because I'm more familiar with her in Six Feet Under, which is such an incredible show. Don't watch it with your kids. Uh, but still the best series finale of any television show of all time fight me um but I feel like and I haven't watched it in a couple years but I do remember her having a lot of these like pissed off girlfriend scenes in six feet under so I feel like you know she was sort of typecast in this role she pulled it off and the nice moments between them are really nice um but I feel like I feel like a lot of her performance got sacrificed for the writing for the sake of creating tension. Yeah. Angus T. Jones plays Hunter Morris, his son. This is before he was on Two and, Two and a Half, half Men. Men. Uh, but he is just so good in this film. I think that he makes the movie. Absolutely. I, I could not agree with you more. He is so cute and he is one of these rare child actors where he can just be cute, but it never gets annoying. You know, he's not an all-knowing quip machine where yeah. I think they could have written to that a lot. And I'm so glad that they didn't, you know, where he's he's trying to instill in his dad, like, why not go for it? Why? You know, there's no like pearls of wisdom that get annoying from this kid. Um, he's just supportive. And yeah, he's just... It, it's great. It, it's a really rel- well-written uh, character for a child, and it's just executed even better. Brian Cox plays Jim Sr. I love what he does here. I love that he is staunch and he is stern and he is very much a military man. And that kind of does carry over throughout his entire life. Um, I love how he softens with his grandson, but he's still hard with Jim. I think that that works for what they were trying to accomplish here. I also really like that they didn't fully peel back the onion after he softened with the grandson, that it really took a lot for them to mend this fence. Yeah. Russell Richardson plays Brooks. I love the relationship that Jim has with him because earlier on in Jim's minor league days, their relationship is a little bit rocky. Um, but I love how they build a bond and how that call up together is truly sent home in the film and how Jim is the one that tells him that they're getting called up. It's a full circle moment for what is very much a secondary yet necessary character. 
I agree. I also really love that moment when they first get to Arlington and the stadium is completely empty. They beat the rest of the team there and they're just taking in this moment together. It's beautifully shot the way the light is hitting the stadium and they're just walking through that main concourse together. Um, It's just really well done. And I I love the relationship that they develop together. I also want to talk about the Owls because I feel like this group of guys could have been lumped together as a plot point, but I really like the way they develop these characters. Uh, You've got Jay Hernandez as Joaquin, uh, Rick Gonzalez as Rudy, Chad Lindbergh as Joe, and Angelo Spaziri as Joel. Um... Obviously, the focus was on them, these four players out of a team of, you know, 10 or 12 guys. Um, But again, to me, it's the four of them that really make this movie read like October Sky. And I feel like so much of the charm of this film came from these four characters and the relationship that they had with Jim. They bring the lightheartedness that you need. They bring the support that you need, no doubt. Final thoughts on The Rookie. Um, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, I really like this movie. It's charming as hell. Um, I, I love it as a baseball movie. Uh, I know we were critical about it dragging and it certainly does in some places, but that doesn't stop it from being a good film. And I think it's certainly worth a watch if you're a baseball fan. It's a good family movie. And I just also love it as like a classic Americana film. It is such an Americana story of, uh, you know, it's never too late to chase your dream. Yeah, I think the overall message is very good. I think that it is a very good movie. I think it could have stood to be a little bit shorter. I think they could have tightened a few things up. And if this is the runtime that they wanted, then I think that you could have just invested time Elsewhere, I I said it earlier, I think that you could have just invested a little bit more time showing us some more of his success and balancing the drama against it. Um, My understanding is that, like I said, I I did not find an awful lot about this film and how accurate it was, other than the fact that Jim Morris says that this movie, it's a dramatized version of the real story, but this movie, as he said, is about 90% true. What that 90% is, I'm not all that sure, but he claims it to be a fairly accurate depiction. Uh, We're interested in hearing what you have to say about The Rookie. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook uh, at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey, guys. My name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake, because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So if you are interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. 
Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen and Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaandKismetDesigns.com. Listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's products. It is online at KarmaandKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. Fantasmic is going down for refurbishment already (laughs) after being closed for a few years and having reopened for only the last couple of months. uh, It's going down for refurbishment in May. So funnily enough, we actually just saw it last night. That was not. I mean, it was planned. It wasn't like we gunned in a night at studios to see it before the refurbishment. Right. Uh, You had the night off from work and I'm not back in yet. So we figured let's take advantage of this and uh, do one last hurrah at Hollywood Studios before I go back. Uh, So we knew we were going (laughs) and thank goodness because then they announced this news of the refurb and, you know, we might not get to see it for for months otherwise um we're going to hold on talking about all of the changes until our dockside chat because you know we'll tell you about our entire evening uh at hollywood studios in in the next dockside um but i am glad we had the chance to see it not before not just before it goes down but also because i can kind of figure out at least two points in the show where it might need the refurb. Um, I noticed towards the end, um, they do the, the pyro again and the lake went back on fire. So I'm wondering if they need to figure out a way to more quickly drain the, uh, the oil out so that that doesn't keep happening. Um, and then to the far left of the theater, if you are going to see Fantasmic in the next couple of weeks, uh, the far left side, if you're facing the stage, is like a splash zone. Um, anytime the water sprays out, uh, we were looking down that way, and it just comes completely up over the rail, and my guess is that they're trying not to soak the audience. Yeah. Um, like you said, we'll talk about it on our dockside chat. It's going down for two days, May 1st and 2nd for refurbishment, and then Leading up to that and then following the refurbishment, as opposed to it running twice a night at 8.30 and 10 p.m., it is going to go down to one showing a night until the end of June. It's going to be 9 p.m., one show a night. That kind of makes sense, though, because even just being there yesterday, we are at that lull between spring break and before kids are out of school. The attendance was pretty low i mean there was a 40 minute wait for rise of the resistance so that tells you everything you need to know about the crowds but the amphitheater did fill and as soon as they let us out they opened the floodgates for the 10 p.m show and there was already a line i mean we got online an hour before the show and i'd say that the theater was about half 
filled an hour before, but they did fill it in completely. But we just wanted to let you know in case you were planning a Disney trip and you were planning on going to see Fantasmic because I admittedly almost had a heart attack when I saw that we had finally <laughs> gotten a day that we were going to go to studios to see it and that it was going down for a refurb. Uh, we want to know if that is going to affect your Disney travel or if you have in fact seen the new Fantasmic. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio or you can email us monorailradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links related to the show, it is going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.